Welcome to the Forge Leadership Podcast. In this series, Simon Barrington and Johnny Abbott are joined each week by emerging leaders from the millennial generation. Today our guest is Galia Ben-Israel. Galia is 24 and is an associate pastor at Kingsgate Community Church, a multi-site, intergenerational, multicultural church family where she radically encountered God and became a Christian at the age of 15, having previously been an atheist. Well, welcome back to the Forge Leadership Podcast. My name is Johnny. I'm here with Simon, as always. And today we're joined by Galia Ben-Israel. I think I pronounced that right. Um, Galia, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me on today. Hey, not a problem at all. Glad to have you. Um, Galia, kick us off. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you and what do you do? Yep. So I'm Galia. I'm 24 and I'm an associate pastor at Kingsgate Community Church. Uh, We're one church across four locations and I'm based at our centre in Peterborough, where it kind of all got started. And uh, my role is very varied. It involves bits to do with communications and social media, storytelling, uh, leadership development, freedom ministry, um, and I really love it. I can't believe that I get to do what I get to do with the people that I get to do it with. <laughs> so people who haven't heard of Kingsgate Community Church before, you mentioned it's a, a four location church. So yeah. uh, people might already have an understanding that maybe it's not your traditional church. <laughs> yeah, so Kingsgate um Yeah, one church, four locations, but each location kind of has its own um, sense of local identity. But we really are uh, part of the same Kingsgate family across our centres. We're all about seeing lives transformed by the power of God's love from our neighbourhoods to our nations um, and our expression, I guess, of gathered churches you know we're vibrant we're multicultural we're intergenerational we have three and four generation families all worshiping together in the same church family um and it's pretty special i think you know i think it's an expression of what the kingdom of heaven might look like in part Mm, totally agree i've been able to go to kingsgate uh, church before so if you're listening and uh, maybe you're not familiar with church uh, or that's something that's maybe not on your radar if you're ever around Peterborough uh, on a Sunday, would 100% recommend that you um, have a little look online and, and check them out. Um, uh, it's a great, great experience um, to go to and a great church. Um, so Galia, uh, you've given us a little bit of an insight into some of your roles in that church, uh, communication, storytelling, social media stuff, um, uh, Bible, doctrine, theology, all yeah, of that. Yeah, with our interns as well. <laughs> What was the uh, what was the thing that that persuaded you to, uh, to to get into this work? Yeah, good question. Well, I actually became a Christian when I was fifteen years old through Kingsgate. Um, I by that point in my life was decidedly an atheist and was very well read in that um, and didn't really I didn't believe there was a God, and if there was, I didn't want to know the one who'd let me have quite a hard life actually up until that point in many ways, kind of broken family background Um, but my mum became a Christian when I was 12 or 13 and I was pretty kind of wayward in life doing my own thing getting into um, some trouble outside of school and outside of home with my friends and probably not on the most uh, beneficial path for my life already at such a young age and so my mum didn't really know much about that but I had quite a bad attitude at home so she started uh, bringing me along to her church Kingsgate with her and then 
by the age of 15, I kind of got coerced into going onto youth camp um, and had some friends. I had some friends in the youth group, so it, it was it wasn't that bad. Um, but I wasn't looking forward to all the God stuff because I was really anti it, and I was very vocal as well in church about how anti God I was. I used to sit in church services like with my iPod Touch um, headphone up my sleeve, listening to music on like Radio One during the services. <laughs> So I couldn't engage with church at all, um, but made some good friends in the youth group and they just totally accepted me for who I was and where I was at. And they were even lovely to me when I was very mean about their faith, which was kind of a definer of who they were, but they didn't take it too personally and just loved me regardless. And so I got coerced onto this youth camp in uh, the May half term of 2009. And I was like, I've got GCSEs to revise for. Why are you making me go on this like God camp with the God squad? Um, but my mum was convinced it would be good for me. And my friends said I'd have fun with them. So I went and um, ended up in one of the seminar sessions that we had, just having quite a powerful encounter um, with God and in the process of trying to prove that he didn't exist. Um, And I wouldn't say that I'd started believing initially in that moment, but everything I didn't believe kind of got blown out of the water and set me on a two to three month long quest of, okay, if there's something to this God thing that I need to know about it, Um, And I need to know what that means. I need to know what this God's like if I'm going to give my whole life to him. Because I I kind of reached a point where I was like, well, I didn't think any of this was possible. um, And maybe it is. And if it is, I should probably give my whole life to it. And so read some books, had some mentors in the youth team um, who just came alongside me age 15. And a couple of months after that encounter with God, I decided that, yeah, Jesus was who he says he was. that he lived and died and rose again. And I was going to give my life to follow him and be a Christian. And then a year later, um, I was back on youth camp again in the same room where I'd had that first encounter with God. And I'd started to recognize like in school and even in church that my friends just followed me. Like they always came to me for advice. Um, People really cared about what I had to say. And if I said something was a good idea, people were easy and quick to follow me in that. Um, And I recognized that there was a measure of influence that I had over people that perhaps not everyone actually in my world had over me. And I thought maybe this is leadership Um, and hadn't spoken to anybody about it, just had said to God in in a time of prayer, actually, if, if I'm a leader and if you want me to lead people, then I'll do it. But you have to make it really obvious. And so on the second youth camp that I was on, um, on the first night, one of the pastors from our church was actually there speaking. And um, he just came over to me during a time of ministry and said, Galia, you're a leader. God says you are a leader and he wants you to lead people and use your influence for him. Um, and I just knew from then on, really, I was 16 years old. I knew for me that was... I'm going to give my whole life to serve God, to love him and love his people. Um, And this local church has, you know, he has completely changed my life through this local church. And so I want to let my life be an instrument for him to do that same uh, work in other people's lives. And so that was nearly nine years ago. Um, I went to university because I thought I probably need to know something about all this stuff I want to do with people. So I discovered that theology existed because one of my youth leaders um, went to study theology and I didn't even know it existed. But I was like, wow, that sounds amazing. I want to know about that stuff you're learning about. So I went to Durham University, studied theology for three years. um, And about halfway through was kind of praying. It's funny, like halfway through second year, when you've only just got started at university, everyone starts talking about, well, what do you do when you finish? Um, And I... 
I just didn't feel like the kind of conventional roots of, you know, maybe teaching or maybe a job in the city would be for me. I, I just knew that um, ministry in church, in the church context and leadership was my calling. Um, and it was just a question of where, like, do I go back to Peterborough and be with Kingsgate or what would that look like? Um, and just, yeah, felt God say, your destiny is with your people, like go where your people are. Um, and Kingsgate's home. And I know that my story is inextricably linked to what God is doing through this house. And so I came home and did our lead internship program and then stayed on as a pastor in training through our leadership development program. And now I'm an associate pastor. So very much learning on the job. Um, But that's kind of a bit of my story. So uh, amazing story there to go from someone who was uh, quite clearly uh, anti-faith and yeah. uh, well read on that as well to uh, then a year later standing there and thinking hey this is I recognize a, a leadership capability within me and this is how I want to use it uh, what were the things you mentioned Durham University you mentioned the the program as well that you went on as part of mm-hmm. the, the uh, King's Church internship what were the things that you did and who were the people that really helped you craft that leadership gift Yeah, I think some of the key things were very early on in my journey. I had uh, youth leaders who just came right alongside me. Um, You know, they'd offer to pray, but also they'd say, hey, Galia, you know, you might find this book quite interesting. Um, I read books like The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Um, I was it was recommended to me that maybe it would help if I read the Gospels, if I just found out for myself what Jesus said about Jesus. Um, So I did that under their recommendation. I read Mark and then I thought, I'll do another one. So I read John and then I didn't consult them, but thought I should probably read something from the old bit of this big book. So I just read Deuteronomy because I thought I could do it in a month because it's got around about 30 30 chapters. So kind of I was a real reader um, and immersed myself in scripture quite early on, which I think in hindsight was really key. Um, But then going to university and having that kind of that understanding that wasn't ever going to surpass the experience that I'd had personally of the presence and power of God's love, um, but actually really provided a, a foundational understanding for me and um, how to how to comprehend God and faith in the context of real life and in the real world, which was really key. Um, and at university, I had key people come alongside me, you know, peers but who were maybe slightly a few years older and just had more experience of living a life of faith um cheering me on both in durham and back from peterborough as well i was really rooted in our young adults community before i left for university and so coming home always felt like coming back to my people um and they were cheering me on they would always send me you know encouragement boxes and cards while i was away at uni and stuff and that was really key actually just knowing that i I was part of a community in both cities was crucial in that stage of my life. Um, And then in more recent history, I've had mentors through the years as well, kind of older ladies, particularly in church who are perhaps in pastoral ministry, who've come alongside me, the work through books with me or just met up for coffee on, you know, a monthly or bi-monthly basis to hear how I'm doing. journey through some of the stuff that I've had to reckon with in terms of my sense of identity and belonging and purpose along the way. Um, People who've just said, hey, I see something in you that maybe you've not fully seen or you know, but you've not fully had space to explore 
and I, I'm operating in that area. So why don't you come alongside me, um, come travel with me, have a look at my life in the process. And that's been really key as well. And what would be some of your greatest passions? What gets you out of bed every morning? Oh, what gets me out of bed in the morning, apart from the fifth alarm when it eventually goes off, <laughs> um, what gets me out of bed in the morning is the sense of if God could do it for me, then he could do it for anyone. Because um, I was such a long way off from him and like my life has been totally turned around, transformed by this revelation that there is a God in heaven who is not just you know, a God of justice, but he's a God of mercy as well. Um, he's a father and a friend and he really loves me. Uh, and that has healed a whole lot of stuff from earlier on in my life. And it's that reckoning of, well, if he can do it for me, then surely he could break through into anyone's life. We've just got to create opportunities for people to meet him. So what gets me up is the idea that the father's love really can transform lives um he really is good news for not just the church but also for the world and for those who do know him and for those who don't yet know him um i'm passionate about seeing his goodness communicated and evidenced you know um in the world and in the church about people finding health and wholeness and life and freedom in the holy spirit because um, that's everything that I've experienced as well. That's wonderful. Now, you used a, a phrase, um, three words, identity, belonging, and purpose. Um, yeah. And that wasn't just a throwaway line from you. <laughs> I think those things are, are really important to you and you've dwelt on them. Um, why are those three words so important to you as a leader and in your view of leaders and how they're formed? Yeah, I think they're so key. I think actually, I think it's those three words I picked up from a book that um, my senior pastor, Dave Smith, wrote called Transformed Life, which is a kind of, it's a devotional study on Ephesians chapters one to three. Um, and I remember hearing him speak about these three words and about those chapters. And just it just really struck a chord with me of like, if I'm going to be, a leader of any kind, if I'm even going to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, then these three things are so key. Like where my identity comes from is crucial. Um, if I'm getting my identity externally from the world around me, then I'm going to have to be prepared for a lot of, you know, it's going to be like shifting sand because that stuff is always going to change. Um, but really it, matters a lot that my identity is rooted uh, in the truth of who God is, what he's done for me um, and who I am as a result of who he is, because I am not my own anymore. Um, I'm in him and I want everything I do to operate out of that sense of identity, because that deals with a whole load of stuff. When I really learn to live in the good of that, you know, that deals with some of the stuff, you know, like my need for approval or recognition or applause or my fear of getting things wrong or not knowing how to get things right even. Um, and it, it, deal, it deals with a whole bunch of that stuff. And if I have belonging, um, then I know that I'm loved by people. There's, there's always a place to come back to of, I'm not in this on my own. Um, and I think that's really key in leadership. Because I remember hearing someone once say, you know, um, leadership is lonely. The like the closer you get to the top, the lonelier it gets. And I remember hearing that and something in me being like, I absolutely will not have that be the narrative of my experience in leadership. Um, nothing in me is going to thrive if that's the environment for my leadership. 
So I, I've got to have people around me. I've got to know where I belong and who I belong amongst. Um, one of my friends as well says, you know, uh, take a look at your friends and I'll show you your future. And it's like, yeah. okay, if my friends are foreshadowing my future, then um, it really matters who my friends are because I have a sense of what God's vision for my future might be. And so the people that I'm surrounded with and, you know, people whose lives I'm getting to pour into in friendship as well, it really matters that they reflect where I think God is leading me, who I think he's forming me into. Um, and then purpose, I, you know, if I don't have a sense of vision and um, calling in my life, then what is this all about? You know, what is what is the meaning of everything that I do each day? Um, it has to be about more than just achieving for me. It's got to be with a greater purpose in mind because Jesus, I don't believe, came and, you know, showed himself to me and set me free just for me. Um, I think it has to be bigger than me for it to really be life in all its fullness. Now, this issue of identity is so critical for leaders. And I know many leaders in their 50s who still wrestle with, uh, you know, the head knowledge is there of knowing that I am Christ and he's alone. Yeah. Uh, but actually at a heart level, still driven by approval and, and fear of failure. What, what are the things you've learned that have been most foundational for you in that issue of identity? Um, and how are you seeking to pass those on to the people that you're now mentoring and bringing through? Yeah, I think one of the most key things um, to do with this whole identity area for me and my own walk with God has been being unseen, actually being uncelebrated and not despising the seasons where that's characteristic in my life. Um, making sure, one of my friends once said to me, make sure some of the best things you do are done in secret. Um, and I think that just ties into some of what Jesus said about, you know, if you get all the publicity, um, then you've got all your reward already. Um, but do some things in unseen places, cultivate that private history with God that you can always come back to. Cause I think that's where identity gets settled. Identity doesn't get settled on a platform. It gets settled in private. Um, and from, from about halfway through my second year at uni, around about the time where I felt like, yeah, I'm definitely going to go back to Kingsgate cause that's where my people are. Um, and that's where I'm going to pursue God's purpose for my life for the foreseeable future. There's something just clicked in my mind of, I really want to have, an active living relationship with God through scripture, um, through prayer. You know, I want worship to be at the core of my private life with God, um, stuff that nobody's ever going to see or celebrate. So, you know, for me, daily rhythm in scripture, um, I journal daily as well. Um, that's kind of where I pray stuff through as well. And just having that rhythm at the core of who I am um, and in the priority of my time as well that, it's not seen or celebrated, um, but it is the place where all of my intimacy uh, can then inform my activity. And I think if we get that the wrong way around, that's where we start to lose our minds in terms of our identity when it's activity and then we strive towards intimacy because of our activity. Um, really, it has to come intimacy and then activity. And that's just something that has been cultivated, I guess, in private for many years and will continue to because, you know, it's a discipline, but it's also a delight for me. Um, and that's probably the key thing that I try to encourage others 
in as well, um, peers and people whose lives I'm investing in through mentoring and leadership roles with them. It's get the first things first because um, your identity is not going to come securely from the people around you or the voices around you and relationship with God cannot be a secondhand thing. Um, that All that stuff can supplement and can really support and aid. But if the roots of your life aren't down deep in who God is, um, and who you are as a result of that through Bible, prayer, worship, uh, then everything else is probably going to have a bit of a hole in the bucket, so to speak. Fantastic. Now, in, in the leaders that you're seeking to develop at, at Kingsgate, um, what are the characteristics that you're looking for, first and foremost? And um, what, what are you investing in them? Mm. One of the key things, it kind of seems a bit obvious, maybe, but faithful, like you know, they say they're going to do something and they do it and they do it to the best of their ability. Um, their, their word is trustworthy. Um, what I see in their life measures up with what they say with their mouth. Um, I consider all of that to come under faithfulness, but also teachability. I heard it said, um, if I can't teach you, I can't trust you. It's that, you know, I'm not out to criticize anyone, but as much as I want to receive helpful feedback from people, I, I need to know if I'm investing in people that they can receive that also, um, that they've got a teachable spirit that doesn't take correction as if it's not loving, but understands that correction done well is love. Um, and it's because I really love and care about them and believe that God has more than what I'm currently seeing. So faithfulness, teachability, um, that they're investable as well. You know, they're hungry. They're looking for how they can grow and learn. And it's not me having to, you know, try and force stuff down their throat, so to speak, in development, but they're kind of coming to me with, have you heard about this? I listened to this great talk. Have you seen this? I was thinking about this the other day. What are your thoughts? I, I love that because it's kind of a, it's a, we can spur one another on in that, but also what that evidence is, is beneath the surface, there's more going on. Um, and I think that's a real encouragement. So those for me are absolute non-negotiables. People have to be faithful. They have to be teachable and they've got to be investable and hungry um, and available to the task as well. Like, you know, showing up and saying, I want to lead, I want to lead, I want to lead. And then prioritizing everything else over things that you've been made responsible for is also pretty mm -hmm. bad. Right? And <laughs> signature of character that maybe is more underdeveloped than we initially thought. And, you know, we can work with that, but um, let's be really upfront about it as well. So, uh, Gally, we always try and ask a couple of questions to everyone who comes onto the podcast and um, loved everything you've been saying, loved what you were talking about, about the the quiet space, the secret space, and doing some of your best works there. Um, so some real valuable lessons um, for the listeners, but also for myself as well. But uh, one of the first questions we want to ask is this, what's the biggest tension that you live with uh, in your leadership? Mm, I would say one of the biggest tensions I find is the tension of loving where I'm at now and knowing that there will be more in the future as well, but perhaps not being able to see every step in between. Um, and so really the tension is of not skipping steps, of being fully committed and fully present um, in the season that God has me in now so that I'm aligned with his perspective and can serve faithfully in this season, but also maintaining that kind of future vision as well um, and not skipping steps in between, you know, being fully committed to that process of God's development in and through my life. Um, I find that probably the biggest tension 
you know, partly because I'm, I'm quite impatient um, mm. and would love to be there now, but also I, I recognize the tension is I would love to be there now, but I recognize there's a very good reason why I'm not there now um, and not there yet. And actually why there is probably not that much of an arrival point as much as, you know, another part of this process of having more of the image of Jesus refined in and through my life. Um, and for me, that's the biggest tension. Can definitely identify with that. How is it that uh, you negotiate that? Very good question. Um, I invite people to speak into that life. You know, there are people who I'm very vulnerable with about what that process looks like. There are people who know, um, you know, close, trusted friends who see and know some of what I sense the future may hold um, that I'm not living in yet. And so, you know, they have permission to ask how are you doing holding this intention um how are you doing being present in your season i think feedback is a key thing in the process as well because uh, that's how we figure out where our blind spots are and they're great revealers and um, when people who you love and trust can speak into your life and say uh, actually i saw this in your character um i once had my line manager is an amazing influence um in terms of my personal development and my development as a leader. Um, so I just get to see so much of her life and she's so open and honest, but also I know that I'm loved by her and she can challenge me in that context as well. And quite early on when I was working with her about three years ago, she said to me, we went to a meeting and I just hadn't prepared fully and didn't really know what I was doing, but also hadn't asked for help, but had this massive fear of failing, which I think just paralyzed me. Um, in putting this work together, took it to a meeting. It just wasn't good enough. Um, and I kind of like dodged the ownership for the fact that it wasn't good enough in the meeting. Uh, and she just pulled me aside privately afterwards and said, you know, Galio, I didn't see integrity there. Um, I know that your character is better than that. And I was disappointed. And for me, that just kind of switched things up for me. It was like, oh, wow, it really matters that I have people like this who have full permission um, to lovingly correct those areas where that could be a major flaw in not just my character, but actually it could be a major issue in terms of development long term if I never saw the root of that problem. Um, so I think that's so critical. Um, so to wrap up the podcast, what's your greatest excitement and your greatest fear when it comes to leading? So I'll start with fear so we can end on a high with excitement. I think my greatest fear when it comes to leading would be that I ever get into a place where I think I've got this. Um, I think self-sufficiency and independency uh, are so dangerous for leaders and followers of Jesus, full stop, to be honest. Um, I never want to be in a place where my leadership doesn't come out of my trust and dependency foremostly on God uh, and on his faithfulness and his sufficiency. You know, anything I build, I have to maintain. But if I'm in the slipstream of what he's already building, um, that's a really safe place to trust him. And I can lead securely from there. But also, I want to be in a place of healthy interdependency with the community of people he's put me around. You know, I don't lead alone. Um, but my greatest fear would ever be that I think I've got this uh, and I can do this by myself. And I'm very much on a process of learning how to be vulnerable with the times and the situations where I have not got this. Um, but I guess that's what these these years of learning how to lead as we lead are for as well. So that's amazing. Um, and then I think my greatest excitement in leadership would be 
I'm actually seeing this really um, beautiful kind of relationship through generations at the moment. You know, we talk a lot about what's it like to be a millennial leader. And I think there are things that are characteristic of our generation um, in terms of how we come to leadership. But and one of those, I think, is the, you know, the need for feedback and the culture of encouragement and approval and all those kind of things which have, you know, light and shadow sides. But what I'm actually seeing more than ever before is, you know, high level leaders who are way older and way more experienced um, than I am, whose lives I could only hope to em emulate in some part in future, kind of saying, oh, Gallia, I'd really like appreciate your input on this thing about social media or, you know, pastors who are in their 60s and 70s and 80s coming to me and saying, what do you think about this situation or what would you have done with this? And this kind of two-way relationship of learning how to lead on the job um, is something that I'm so encouraged and inspired by. And I think there's something of that that teachable spirit, I suppose, um, that I I really love. And I think it's special across the generations. I just think it's characteristic of more unity, perhaps, than we've ever seen before, and therefore greater strength as well. Galia, thank you so much for uh, sharing your story, um, sharing your leadership insights in such a humble and uh, insightful way uh, on the podcast this morning. Uh, love what you're doing at Kingsgate and, and the ethos that you've shared today has just been inspirational. So uh, Galia Ben-Israel, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Thanks for listening. For more dedicated resources to equip emerging leaders, visit our new website, millennial-leader.com. And don't forget to catch up on the Forge Leadership Podcast at forge-leadership-podcast.com. Hold up. 